Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ordinary people are seeing extraordinary things in our skies. But how has it changed those involved? From author Ryan Sprague, Somewhere in the Skies, A Human Approach to an Alien Phenomenon is a personal journey that also weaves together a story of stories, furiously pumping new blood into the heart of these mysteries, one experience at a time. Now available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. For more information, visit somewhereintheskies.com. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Hey guys, Ryan Sprague here. Before we get to this week's Halloween series finale of Somewhere in the Skies, I have one last listener story to share with you. This comes to us from Luke, who witnessed, along with several others, firsthand a genuine demon possession. Have a listen. Hey Ryan, my name is Luke, and I want to uh, tell a story about demon possession. I'm going to go ahead and read something I wrote for it, just because I want to try to keep the story concise for everybody to understand it. So here goes. The story I want to share is about a small town where I went to high school. It happened in the fall of 1999, my senior year, and deals with demon possession. Naturally, when one goes to a small school, 300 students to be exact, everyone knows each other. And whether or not you're close friends, you feel close. I knew A for quite some time. She was also a senior, funny, sometimes aloof, and unfortunately had a rather unstable home life. Her sister was adopted, and that caused a chronic rivalry between the two. They lived in a gorgeous house on the water, their parents workaholics and alcoholics, and never around, and if around, fighting. Things got bad. I know this because A started attending the youth group I went to once a week. It was a close group of friends, all of us genuine seekers lacking pretension, not there to beat people over the head with a Bible, just genuinely intrigued with the supernatural and facets of the higher powers we called God and Jesus. That's a story for another time, as very incredible things started to happen, things that dumbfounded even the occultist healers around town. As things got bad, A sought answers. She was interested in God and even Jesus, but was still kind of testing whether she felt she could put her faith in them. She was a busty girl, like I said, funny, and sometimes even gruff, though with her gruff demeanor, a higher, more naturally feminine voice, which was an ironic package. During this time, things bad with her sister, her parents fighting, A's allegations of familial abuse, both physical and mental. She started dabbling with the Ouija board and other occultic ways of centering herself. As commonly experienced, she started encountering some frightening things because of this. Doors closing by themselves, lights turning on, footsteps tormenting nightmares. A stated at times she'd wake in the middle of the night and feel something sitting on her chest. I want to reiterate that all of us were friends with A. 
and though she didn't fully jive the youth group's theology, she had a deep love and appreciation for the community she had become a part of. One night, I'd say at least a solid month after she started having these freaky things happen at her home, all of us were taking turns praying. One of us, I don't remember who, prayed that the scary things would stop at her house. As he or she was praying, A opened her eyes and they rolled back and she started chuffing the direction of the person praying. It sounded like a dog, an angry one, protecting its territory. In between these moments, she'd come to and beg us for help, stating it felt like she was trapped inside herself. But then she'd go back down, and whatever it was manifesting would continue to chuff, even at one time lunging before being yanked back by two of our largest friends. Naturally, she needed space for this sort of thing. So me, the youth pastor, and another friend demanded A come back to the surface long enough for us to talk with her. She came back, scared, sounded like someone struggling to stay above water. We told her we could take her in a car and pray for her to give her the privacy needed. In the car, her abdomen started rolling. That's the only way I can describe it. Like the deep ocean on a glassy day, the way it rolls softly. It was unlike anything I've ever seen someone do with their abdomen. And the demon started talking. It had a guttural voice, a deep voice that came from her throat or chest, a voice A could not have made, nor mastered enough to do in the region it was coming from. As we anointed A with oil and prayed, her body would jerk violently, like someone turning a corner in a car too sharply, almost swerve from our touch. And then A would stop and come back and ask us for help, but then sink back down. My youth pastor was exhausted and sad and wanted to help A. So he did a brave, brave thing I don't necessarily recommend, but may at times be necessary. He addressed the demon directly, asked its name and why it was there. It told him, abuse, Ouija board, dabbling with the occultic practices. I can 100% confirm also that demons have names. Its name, Foria. That name still gives me shivers. At this point, it seemed like something weakened, though. We prayed and asked it to go, and with one violent shake, a shake like I've never seen someone do before, it left, and A re-emerged, teary, afraid, but lighter feeling. I haven't seen A since we graduated June of 2000, and I hope she's doing well and has not been bothered by anything again. Thanks, Ryan. I hope you guys all got something from that retelling. If you have any questions, you know where to find me. Talk to you guys later and have a good Halloween. Wow. So, okay. Despite your religious beliefs or stance on demonology, whatever Luke experienced that day must have truly been terrifying. We can only hope that the girl in question was able to rid of whatever seemed to consume her that unfortunate day. Thank you so much to Luke for sharing this deeply compelling and personal account. It left me with visible chills. This is the last episode in the month of October, and a perfect end to our Halloween series of listener stories and special guests. Next week, we dive right back into UFOs. I hope all of you have a wonderful Halloween. And now, let's get to this week's episode. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. Imagine sitting in your living room one night, reading a book. You begin to doze off, the strain of the day slowly fading away as your eyes close. Suddenly, a harsh knock on the front door springs you to full attention. It's so late, you think to yourself. Who could it possibly be? You make way to the door and peer out the peephole. There's a dark silhouette of a small figure in your distorted view. 
You open the door, assuming this is a child, and you're right. But what you notice next makes this anything but a normal encounter with an adolescent. Staring back at you are two eyes, but they aren't the average iris, pupil, or sclera that you're used to seeing. They are pure black, from lid to lid. Nothing but the moon bounces light off of these deep pools of nothingness. You shudder, trying to take in this unusual sight before you. And that's when you realize that standing behind this child are two more figures. They slowly move forward, their eyes identical to this leader. They wear simple clothes, perhaps a solid black hooded sweatshirt. It falls baggy over their unusually pale skin. The leader finally speaks. Can we come in? You stare at them, dumbfounded. Why would you let a child into your home this late at night? Where are their parents? They somehow answer you with blunt assertion. We're lost. We don't have anywhere to go. Please let us come in. You're sweating. You tremble. Adrenaline courses through your veins as you take stock of the situation. They continue staring at you with their soulless eyes. The debate wages in your head of whether or not to slam the door on them or let them inside. I mean, after all, they're just kids, aren't they? As the debate wages on, you can feel your heart pounding harder than ever before. Something about this situation is not only unusual, it's downright terrifying. Please, let us in. No matter what you do next, it feels like it's the wrong answer. You are left in your doorway, having just encountered what has been coined as an experience with the black-eyed kids. This phenomenon spans continents, and with each passing encounter, these strange children seem to become more and more aggressive. But what exactly is it that they want? And what happens if you let them in? While once thought to stem from online urban legend, the black-eyed kids became a dark and disturbing sensation. Stories cropping up all over the world recounting terrifying tales of the children and their devious pleads for car rides or invites into homes. It was now harder than ever to separate fact from fiction. The black-eyed kids soon falling into the same skeptical box as Slenderman and other legends thought to be created online. And it all seemed to have begun with a singular encounter that sparked an entire phenomenon. But as you'll hear today, this seems to be anything but urban legend. Today, I speak with the man who ignited that spark and ultimately exposed what would be known as the Black Eyed Kids. Brian Bethel is a professional writer living in Texas. He is known as the first witness to ever fully detail an encounter with the Black Eyed Kids when his written statement was leaked at the advent of the internet and subsequently went viral. Today we talk all about his harrowing experience and what has happened since that terrifying night. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Brian Bethel. Guys, thank you for joining me today. At this point, everyone has heard of the Black Eyed Kids, whether it's in movies, television, YouTube, online forums, or now even in comic book forms. So what people may not know is just when and how the entire Black Eyed Kids phenomenon really came to light. And that was in 1996 with a very disturbing encounter by yourself, Brian. So I'd love to really attack this from the get-go and was wondering if you could basically just run us through what happened that night. Well, 
here's the thing. It was a pretty mundane evening. And this is back in the early days of the internet with dial-up internet and uh, also um, electronic bill pay and such like that wasn't common either. So I was uh, going analog here and taking a check to um, my internet provider, which was on North First in Abilene, Texas. And so I went there and um, there's a used to be first run theater. Um, now it's actually a, uh, well, for a while it was a second run theater, kind of a dollar theater. And now it's being, uh, closed and, uh, renovated by a church. So, so that's interesting. Ooh, but anyway, that is interesting. Uh, yeah. Um, so I was using the light of the theater marquee. I'd driven there and was using the light of the marquee to write my check and was just about finished. I was going to put in this drop slot that they had. And all of a sudden, I hear this knock on my window. And I look over, and there are these two boys, probably about the age of 9 to 12, and wearing pullover hoodies and jeans, really kind of nothing untoward about them immediately. Um, one of them is sort of olive-complected skin, still a little pale, and uh, curly hair, uh, kind of a mousy brown. He's the uh, he's the guy referred to in the story as the spokesman. And then um, there's another kid in the back, and he is pale skinned, freckles, red hair. You know, they they start talking. I crack the window a bit. I think, okay, they're probably going to hit me up for money. And the spokesman, as I refer to him, says, "Hey, Mister, we we forgot our money. We want to see the movie." but we left our money at home. Can you take us to our mom's house and we'll get our money and then we'll, we'll come right back and, 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 and that'll be all we need. Um, it's not far away. Uh, we just need a ride. And, and you know, that sounds kind of reasonable. I mean, kids do do things like that, although it's kind of strange for them to approach someone they don't know to, to necessarily ask this but i mean i'm there and and available i guess and so but immediately there's this fear response this this just absolute terror at the idea of even being near this pair of kids and it's completely inexplicable i don't understand it i i can't even begin to comprehend where it's coming from and and yet there it is and it's palpable and it's terrible. I, I just find myself absolutely in utter fear and, and to some degree even awe of these two kids. And it doesn't make any sense at all, but it's there. And so I try to rationalize this or catch my breath or whatever and, and say, you know, well, um, yeah, I, I don't know about that. Um I'm, I'm just here to do this this one thing and, and sort of leave. And um, I don't know where you live exactly and, and all that sort of thing like that. And, you know, just kind of trying to feel this situation out because there, there's just something wrong with it. And so finally, they, the, the spokesman, I guess, kind of starts to get a little irritated. Uh, you know, he keeps he's kept going on, you know, look, man, it's not far away, all that sort of thing. And then I could tell he's starting to get a little irritated. And then he says, and I'll, I'll always remember this. And look, mister, we're just two little kids. We don't have a gun or anything. 
which which is not comforting. I mean, I I, yeah. I mean, I I don't know if that was meant to be comforting or threatening or, or what. But but that is not a comforting thing for someone to say. And so at that point, uh, this fear has just mounted to an absolute fever pitch, and I cannot understand why. And so I I, I think okay, we we've got to apply some logic here. So I asked them what movie are you guys planning to see? And they say, we're going to see Mortal Kombat. Mm. And I, yeah. Okay. And, I, and so this places it in time, of course, but I, I had already looked at the theater marquee and I knew that that was showing. And so I asked them, okay, well, what show are you guys wanting to see? And I look up at the marquee and I see that you know, it, it starts at 9.30, I think it was. And I look down at my clock in my car, and it's already somewhere around 9.50 or so. And so by the time I take these kids anywhere and bring them back, even in a town the size of Abilene, where you can get pretty much anywhere in 15 minutes, they're, they're going to miss a tremendous part of this movie. I mean, there, there's no reason for them to even try to see it at this point. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that, I I look over at them, and this is where I guess it all happens. And I don't understand why. Uh, I've tried to figure out why. Um, I don't know if it was just simply breaking their gaze or the, the looking away or, or what happened exactly. But I look over and I see this pair standing there and I finally notice what's wrong. What, what's been tickling at the back of my brain to make me so frightened of this. And it's their eyes and they're just black, just absolutely, totally coal black, but reflective of course. And, uh, could actually see the, the, the theater light reflected in them. But here's the thing. I mean, that would be extremely disturbing, okay? But it's it's what I saw in them, or, or rather what I didn't see in them that I found to be just the thing that pushed me over the edge. Because when you look in someone's eyes, you can see kind of, and I'm tr- going to try to not get too metaphysical here, but I mean, you can see the thing inside of them that animates them and gives them life and light beside under those eyes and whatnot. And I looked into the eyes of these kids and I couldn't see anything. It was looking, it was like looking into a void. It it was like um, a fragment of space without any stars. It, uh, and, and there was nothing in there. There was absolutely no light reflected back at all. And so at that point, I just, go into a complete panic. And uh, I know at, that my intuition has been serving me and I feel immediate fight or flight response and I have to get out of there. I have to get away from them. And so I I tell them, look, um, I'm sorry. I just remembered something. I, I can't do it. I hope you guys find a ride. Um, you know, really sorry about this kind of stammering and all that sort of thing. And I know at this point that I'm not hiding anything at that point. And so I, I roll up the window as fast as I can. And about the time I get it rolled up, the spokesman and keeping in mind that the kid in the back never says anything throughout this entire encounter starts slamming on the window, 
just absolutely beating on it. And he is furious. Yeah, I can tell that he's just absolutely furious. And the kid in the back actually has this what the hell is going on kind of expression. And, you know, it's like this is not the way this is supposed to go. Almost is the way I've interpreted it. But the kid in the front just absolutely starts hammering on the window. I, I will never forget this. Uh, I mean, this is burned into my brain forever, what he says. And he says, Mr., we can't come inside your car unless you tell us it's okay. Let us in. And at that point, I mean, I'm just I'm just gone. Okay. I mean yeah. I mean I throw this I throw the car into reverse. I I get out of there as quickly as I can. Before I get out onto the street, I steal a glance into my rear view mirror and they're gone. They're just absolutely gone. They're they're not there. And the way that this parking lot is designed, there's no way they could have run neither left nor right. And and there weren't enough cars there even where they could have, I think, successfully hidden behind one or anything like that. In that extremely short time between my parking space and getting onto the road. And I remember driving back as fast as I possibly can is just just this huge blur of of fear and and self-preservation almost and i i get to i get to my apartment i i literally run from my car to the apartment door jangle my keys get inside lock the door and literally just kind of collapse onto the floor Uh, i mean just absolutely terrified and out of breath and my mind reeling at what I've seen and, and not understanding it. Um, and finally I calm down and I, I give a friend a call and I talk about the, uh, the experience. And this is kind of the, I guess the, if there's a twilight zone twist ending, I guess this is sort of where it comes in. He was kind of hanging out with a girl at that point who proclaimed to have some sort of psychic ability or whatever. And he put it on speakerphone so they could hear the story as I was relating it. This is an old friend of mine from college who's who's open to different things. And the girl stops and she said, well, wait a minute. Do these uh, do these kids, and this is way before I even get to that point, have all black eyes? And I say, yes. And she says, well, it's a good thing you didn't let them into your car. You would have been killed. <sighs> wow. So, I mean, right there, man, it, it just shows that... Whatever this phenomenon are, whatever these kids are, like, this has been happening long, you know, possibly longer before your incident, clearly, which we'll definitely get into. But sure. Ugh, that that's terrifying. And the, the idea that this friend knew of the threat that these children pose. uh, I can't even imagine like what you were going through after having this kind of. Uh, cooperation that this is a real true phenomenon what you saw was clearly not hallucinatory <laughs> this was not something that like you you made up in the moment or was possibly a prank by these kids um which a lot of skeptics like to throw in there which again we will get to but sure. uh a- after you got home you uh, recalled this to a few friends uh i know that you recounted this in written form now this is another big part of your story and how this all got out. So I would absolutely love if uh, if you could explain to us how your story got out to the public, how it went viral. Could you sort of run us through this second part of it? Certainly. Yeah, we um, 
back then, of course, the web was a bit more primitive than it is now. And uh, I was a frequent kind of reader of uh, what was called Usenet, which is, uh, I guess if I had to describe it, it was sort of a threaded message conversation sort of thing, kind of kind of like Reddit, but not like Reddit, I guess, <laughs> in a way. Um, and, and I was also a member of several email listservs uh, just kind of devoted to different topics. And um, one of those, because of a previous experience and, and previous interest that I'd had in that arena, was devoted to ghost stories. And um, I'd kind of – this was a very small listserv, I mean, and, and so the feeling was almost kind of a – more of a small family than just a, a bunch of anonymous strangers after we'd been talking for quite some time. And so I, um, I kind of hemmed and hawed about this. Uh, and I, I mentioned a little bit about it earlier. And finally I decided I, I, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to write about this and, um, kind of share this with the, these individual people, and I know that they're not going to, to look at me askance. Um, they've talked to me about this kind of a little bit already. And I want to just give everyone the full story and then we can have a discussion about it and try to think about what they were and, mm -hmm. and that, and that sort of thing. And so, um, I waited a while. Um, the actual post didn't get, sent i think until around july or august of 97 and um yeah, but i remembered everything i mean explicitly so i i sat down and i i wrote this over just a couple days and just sort of looked at it and made sure it was to my satisfaction and then i sent it along and caused a lot of avid discussion on that and then um they said that uh well you should you should can maybe share this on the uh, we, we a lot of us posted on the uh, alt dot folklore dot ghost stories uh, Usenet category and so I said fine and so I posted that and sometime later and from there is apparently where it kind of began to propagate. This was originally supposed to be just for. A very small and select group of people who then kind of encouraged me to, to share it with a wider group of people. And now it's almost completely out of my control. <laughs> but and and so that the reason that I wrote it is because, um, well, professionally, I'm a writer and that's how I express myself. That's how I feel I express myself best. And I'm one of these people who would write even if I wasn't paid to do it, uh, I often do, actually. I sit down and just sort of uh, write things to clear my thoughts and whatnot. And, the, and, and so often writing is kind of a cathartic thing for me. It's, it's, I think it's kind of a, an almost sacred thing in a way. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I, so I put this down. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss and um, shared it with these people and it got out and boy howdy did it get out <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> so even in uh, the early days of the internet things still went viral <laughs> right and we didn't really have that terminology right. for it but uh, but this is but that's exactly what happened with it and to my surprise I started getting almost immediately email feedback and other discussion on this with people who were curious, of course, and and tend to ask the same five questions or so. Um, but then there were people who started to say, not only you know, I believe you, or what else happened, or what have you. There were people who started writing back and saying, I saw these things too, and that was actually not something I was expecting, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I didn't know if this was some bizarre singular thing or what have you, but then the floodgate kind of opened, and it was remarkable on one hand and frightening, of course, on the other, because all these people were all of a sudden, in a secondary manner, confirming what had happened to me. And on one hand, that's great because you, you, you want that kind of that kind of validation is 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 wonderful. But on the other hand, it opens up this kind of frightening Pandora's box of, well, what are these things and what do they want? So exactly. And I, I'd love to ask you that question, Brian, um, before we get to the propagation of the black eyed kids and the stories that have followed and the stories that possibly came before. What in your heart of hearts do you believe you witnessed that night and ultimately became the story that you would tell? What were these kids? What do you think? <laughs> Well, this is this is the big question, isn't it? Um, well, here here's the thing, and and I would be lying if I if I could say I, that I know um, because I don't know. I have heard ten thousand theories and have entertained ten thousand theories myself. Everything from demons to uh, of course, the alien hybrids, which uh, you know, I'm sure some of your listeners uh, lean that direction. Uh, just all, just all kinds of, of things, and dark fairies, extra dimensional beings, all you know, just every 
every type of concept has been something that I've looked at and 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 kind of stroked my chin and whatnot and said, well, well, what are these? All I can tell you is that I believe that they were a not human uh, and b of malevolent intent and and not human to such a degree as to somehow it seemed to me subtly warp reality around them kind of like the way that uh you know a, a black hole kind of warps things around it in a way i mean uh the they they seem to kind of have this almost i, I don't know here here words kind of fail i guess uh, uh i've been asked before if i if i've experienced any other anomalous feelings when i was around them and there was kind of this sense of almost time slowing a little bit um i, I didn't hear traffic i didn't hear other sounds that I, I would expect to hear in the background. It was sort of like everything just sort of zeroed in on on this pair. And I I guess if I had to say where I lean, I I don't really lean toward the alien explanation. I tend to lean towards some sort of extra dimensional, ultra terrestrial perhaps kind of entity, uh, I guess would be the terminologies. But um, beyond that, um, I'm as stymied as anyone. I've heard all kinds of folklore and all kinds of uh, things like that that could possibly enter into the mixture. But the most honest answer is simply, I still don't know. I I think that's the best answer someone like you could possibly give. I mean, if we were to say for certain what these things are, I mean... Who are we to make that assertion? You know what I mean? What what I think's interesting is that even to this day, your story, Brian, has never changed. And I think that's very important. And I think that's what shows that something truly anomalous, credible, and actual happened to you. Now, many skeptics and Many people who who hear this story will say, oh, just a bunch of teenagers with contacts. Now, I know you've heard that a million times, and I'm sure you're rolling your eyes right now. But in terms of that, when the skeptics come to you with something like this, what do you say to the skeptics? Now, I know what you felt in the moment. Many of us have felt when we've had a UFO sighting or a shadow person encounter, anything, anything unusual that bends your perception of reality. Other things kick in, you know, things slow down things speed up you don't hear certain things all of this what do you say to the skeptics who say these were kids playing a prank on you well i i have several things to say to that if if indeed they did don some contacts or have some contacts on or something like that i I find that to be highly suspect because first of all this was 21 years ago and this was not the sort of thing that just a couple of kids would probably have on their person. Uh, contacts like that were expensive. Uh, they were they were specialized. You had to order them. I, I had I, I I I did this. I mean, I went and looked up to see how much a a pair of these contacts would cost, and the and the cost was extremely, in my opinion, prohibitive for a couple of kids who just wanted to to play a prank on me. Beyond that, I mean, all I can say is really what I saw and what I felt. And uh, the one thing I will say is that as a journalist, I am trained to notice details. And I understand um, from interviewing people for years that it's very easy for people to misinterpret data at some sort of a scene. 
you, you can go up and ask them, okay, well, what color was the car in the hit and run? And some people will say it's green and some people will say it's yellow and that guy over there says it's red and that can that is a real thing that can happen uh you know witnesses don't always properly correlate contents of what they've seen but from my perspective one of the things that we do is we train ourselves to do that we're supposed to notice details we're supposed to be able to recount things exactly as they transpired and even then at my um i was fairly young at that point i had all of that training i'd already worked as a professional for for a while and just um i don't know all i can say is that i believe that's what i saw and i've even gone back to the movie theater actually with friends around the same time and parked in the same place and said, okay, you stand over there and I'm going to look up at the theater marquee and I'm going to see if we can recreate this somehow where my eyes didn't adjust properly and what I saw wasn't what, what I thought I saw wasn't really what was happening. Mm-hmm. So, so you stand there, I stand, you know, I'll, I'll be here. I'll look up at it about the same time and all that. Can't recreate it. Uh, I mean, and I've, I've, I've done this probably two or three times actually since then, just to try to satisfy for myself. If, if there was ever a point where I could recreate this, I would get on the internet and say, hey, guess what? I think this is what happened. And I'd be happy to do that. If I got an email from some guy who would probably be in his... Uh, 30s now who said hey that was my friend justin and i and justin forgot our money and we remember you and you were in a particular type of car or something like that or some other detail that only someone who was there would have known then again the same thing i I mean it would be like okay mystery solved but i don't think i'm ever gonna be able to do that and i don't think i'm ever gonna get that email either because I, I don't think that that's what I was seeing and experiencing. I, I think, honestly, that I experienced something truly anomalous. And I've recounted it to the best of my ability. And with all of the same journalistic ethics and integrity that I would with anything else. And I, you know, so I stand by the story. And I guess my, my, my deal to them would be, I'm sorry that you don't believe this. I know that from a lot of people's perspectives, the only way that they're going to believe it is if it happens to them. And then my response to that would be, I sincerely hope you don't have to go through that. Exactly. A lot of people, you know, say, oh, I want to see a UFO. I want to see black eyed children until you're there in the moment, man. I would assume no. No one would ever want to go through something like this. And the other good point you make is that they weren't there. Uh, when I when I interview people about their UFO sightings, their abduction experiences, of course I'm always going to have that small sliver of judgment or uh, hesitancy when I hear it. But when it comes down to it, man, just like you said, as a responsible journalist, you can't make that first judgment immediately because we were not there at, in that moment. So I think that's very important to keep in mind. Yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned that. I've had people actually contact me and say, OK, well, we're going to go to that movie theater. Uh, what should we do? 
And I, 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 my mind boggles at this, and I just write back to them and I say, look, I don't think that you understand what you're asking for. I don't think you're going to understand what you find if you actually have that experience. But moreover than that, I don't think anything's going to happen because that's not the way that this happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the most convincing and interesting stories to me are the things that happen just on a on a clear day, um, so to speak, where people are not expecting are looking for anything anomalous when, when you're going on the ghost hunt or you're uh, are you are you go hang out in Roswell or something like that um, you you know you're you're going there with an expectation that's pretty much going to not be met most of the time I would I would argue and so uh, I I tell them well look I would um, if you have any sort of faith about you I'd take maybe some sort of icon that means something to you may help may not I don't know. No. Uh, other than that, um, good luck sitting in a parking lot for a couple of hours with uh, uh, with nothing occurring around you. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's a wonderful point. Well, Brian, in terms of let's go back to the parking lot for a minute. This is very fascinating part of the BEK lore as it is now uh, with all of these stories that are propagated. It's this idea that they need to be invited in. And you mentioned that they said that they can't come in your car unless you invite them in. Now, in all the years that have passed and all the stories that have come from this initial experience that you had, have you ever come across a story that you find credible where someone has invited them into a car or into a home. Uh, has anything like that ever come to your attention? It's hard to say. I've read a few things where people say that they invited them in and that they felt sick afterward or felt like uh, or felt drained or something like that. There's one that's circulating around on the Internet that I find really interesting where it's a a husband and a wife who allegedly let them in and he suffered some sort of burns or illness or something like that akin to radiation sickness. Uh, I, I mean, I think people have probably seen that one floating around out there Mm -hmm. it's it's really that's really interesting and the thing is i i don't know that i've ever heard um i I mean i knew one fellow who lived in portland oregon who claimed that not he let uh them in but that another guy did in his presence and the guy was supposedly in a in a car accident and was killed, but that's completely apocryphal to me. I have not done the background research necessary to confirm that, and I don't even know. Uh, I, I know the name of the reporting party, uh, who I haven't been in touch with in in a decade or so, um, but I don't know the name of the victim, and uh, so I would have to have that to even begin to start to drill down to see if there was any truth to that, and uh, that's not been something I've done. So honestly, there are plenty, there are stories out there of people letting them in, uh, and now a couple of them have uh, potential UFO ties to and Men in Black and that sort of thing, because I think in the one with the uh, fellow with the radiation sickness and and that sort of thing. They hung out. They hung out there, and then 
I believe a, a black car or something like that drove up and someone came to get them and whatnot. And so we get into MIB territory, I guess, mm-hmm. there. But uh, as far as definitive, this is what happens if you let them in. No, because I think for the most part, if you let them in, we don't hear from you. Yeah, that's a very good point, and I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> a little too scary for my taste. Pop culture. This BKs have become such a part of horror movies, of, you know, literature, of everything we can possibly think of at this point. You know, anyone with a, a, an iPhone can go shoot a small YouTube video about their encounter with the Black Eyed Kids. Even a comic book, you know, has recently come out from Aftershock Comics. What do you think of the rise of the BEKs within pop culture as opposed to the actual phenomenon happening? Well, let me let me tell you about that uh, about my first encounter with that comic book. We we had uh, a bookstore here until fairly recently uh, called Hastings. It's a chain that's that's common around here. They they closed the whole thing recently, but uh, uh, they they sold everything: books, comics, uh, DVDs, all that sort of thing. So I walked in one day, my wife and I, and we were just going to hang out in the coffee shop there, and. I, I read comics. Uh, I'm, I'm, well, I tend to read graphic novels. I prefer to call them, but uh, they're comics. So, <laughs> so, so anyway, I walked over there, and uh, right next to the uh, Betty and Veronica and Captain America, I see Beks, and it's. I I took a step back and I said that that can't be. And I picked it up, and sure enough, it was. And again, I kind of felt reality bend a little bit because it's like, okay, when is when is this going to end? Yeah. <laughs> I guess in in a way. And and, I, and, I, and it was the first issue of it, and I bought it. And to be honest, I haven't even cracked the thing because I'm worried I'm a character in it. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wouldn't doubt that. But yeah, this started. I guess probably 15 years ago where we started seeing these black whenever we want to represent an alien whenever we want to represent a vampire or someone who's possessed or something like that in movies TV other popular media as you say uh, there there are the black eyes and I'll, I'll, I'll say this and I've told people this before every time I see that no matter what it's in, if it's in a movie or just something on TV or what have you, even a video on YouTube or something like that, and I see the the eyes and whatnot, there's still that twinge of fear that starts, even even now, okay? And yeah, they, they have absolute, this image has absolutely proliferated in popular culture. There is no doubt about that. And I don't know if the story, these early stories are the origin or if it's just some sort of almost archetypal thing that's manifesting itself through art and literature as these things often do. So I look at that and I just I, I do marvel at how much it has spread through pop culture and horror and all of that sort of thing. And I both find it 
interesting and also a little bit terrifying, I, I guess. I, I mean, I, I don't really know how to explain that. I mean, it's terrifying personally, but also it's just, it's kind of like these these images are in front of, of people. And even to some degree, images have power to them. Mm-hmm. And I, I often wonder kind of what's going on there. And, and that may be adding too much to it. But I, you know, I certainly find it in a, at a personal level sinister at, at the least. So, yeah, it, it is interesting. It's like feeding the beast, man. It's it, that, this idea of the tulpa. You know, you can wish something into into existence and you have to wonder the more we talk about the BEKs, the more that people uh, spread these stories. Are we manifesting the phenomenon? It's a question I ask on my show all the time. Uh, we may never know that answer, but I guess my next question for you would be sort of confessional time on your end. If you had the chance to go back to that night, would you have done anything differently or would you wish that this thing never happened to you, Brian? Well, it's it's interesting. Um, I don't think I would wish that it had never happened, um, which you would think would be a kind of a logical thing. But I mean, I've had other anomalous experiences before, and this is probably the crowning one, certainly. But everything that you encounter like this teaches you something about yourself, I think. And at the time, I was actually going through kind of a period of, uh, I guess, a whole lot of uh, internal um, wrangling with certain issues, I mean, of uh, everything from spirituality to self. And not that I think that these things were necessarily a manifestation of that, but in the way that uh, synchronicity and whatnot tends to work, I guess, and, and I'm a big believer in that, you know, the the meaningful coincidence. I, I, I think that it was necessary that I, that I experienced this uh, just, just at, an, at a personal level. If I could go back to the time and actually do something different. Um, I would hope that I, I I could maybe with conscious thought temper down some of that fear response. Although I'm not sure that I actually could. I, I mean, just simply the way that it all worked out. But I would. I mean, I'll admit that I have an insatiable curiosity to know what they were and what they wanted and that sort of thing. So if there was any way to even glean the barest extra shred of information about that, I, I certainly would have welcomed that. But but then again, I mean, you know, it, it happened the way it happened, and I think that it happened naturally. My gratitude for it is that for whatever reason – whether it was something my brain was unconsciously doing to help me, quote unquote, break the spell or whatever, or just fortune. I mean, I think that when I looked away, that's when whatever this connection that was forged between me and these entities sort of either broke or weakened enough that I was able to to see capital R reality. I guess so. That's so. That's the thing I would I would hope wouldn't change, and, and really, it kind of had to happen in the chronology it did for all that to to transpire. So, yeah, it it seems like you you pierced the veil and you caught a glimpse of something, whatever that something might be. We 
may never know, but I, I think that's okay. You know, that, that drive to that curiosity to want to know what happened to you, but maybe never getting that answer. That's something I struggle with all the time. You know, will we ever know if UFOs have visited the planet? You know, aside from the question of is life out there? Have they been here? Have they communicated with us? And what is going on with all of this, all of these topics that we find interesting? Um, that's what keeps me going, even though I'm, I've kind of accepted that we may never know. So uh, as depressing as that may sound, it, uh, it also keeps me going. So in terms of that, Brian, what are you doing now? If people want to learn more about what you're, what you're doing, what you're working on, uh, is there somewhere we can find your find you and your work? If you want to find my professional work, that's pretty easy to find uh, on the internet. Uh, although if you really want to read local uh, city council coverage, I'm not so sure. A, a separate email account for people who want to talk to me specifically about BEKs and uh, just trying to quest around for a name. I called it BEK Reports at gmail.com. So that's BEK spelled out reports with an S at Gmail. Dot com And uh, I am happy to uh, talk to people, uh, listen to their experiences and whatnot. There was kind of a point in time um, in the past where I, I sort of took a break from all this, I guess. But yeah. uh, uh, kind of a few years ago, at the encouragement of my wife and some other people, I uh, decided to to jump back in. And, and any stories and any information people want to share is extremely welcome. Well, I'm happy you did jump back in, Brian, because it's clear something truly strange happened to you and terrifying and just otherworldly. And I can tell you right now, man, I'm glad that I wasn't in your shoes or in your car that night. So I have to thank you for breaking this all down for us today and for joining me on Somewhere in the Skies. Thank you very much. All right. Well, this week's main episode has come to an end. But the stories of the BEKs certainly haven't. Join me on a special bonus episode available to Patreon subscribers at the monthly $5 and higher level, where I recount two BEK encounters that stretch much, much further back than the 1996 encounter with Brian Bethel. Also, you'll hear a story Brian told after the interview about a ghostly encounter that preceded his Black Eyed Kid experience. Also, Brian mentioned a story in the interview about a couple who did indeed let the BEKs into their home. What happened next was terrifyingly recounted in a letter written to Greg and Dana Newkirk of Planet Weird. You'll hear that letter in this bonus episode. To hear all of this incredible bonus material, to learn more, and to become a Patreon subscriber, head on over to patreon.com backslash somewhere skies. Many different rewards await you at different monthly levels of patronage. So, be sure to check it out now at patreon.com backslash somewhere skies. To contact me personally with guest suggestions, topics, or to tell a story, head over to somewhereintheskies.com and use the contact tab. We're on Twitter, at Somewhere Skies, and Instagram, at Somewhere Skies Pod. And just another reminder, the Somewhere in the Skies merchandise and apparel store is open. Head on over to tpublic.com and search for Somewhere in the Skies. That's T-E-E-Public.com. All merchandise is designed by loyal listener and artist extraordinaire, Eduardo Lobo. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I am wishing each and every one of you a very happy Halloween this week. 
we will finally be diving back into UFOs next week with a very special episode about one of the most bizarre and hotly debated alien abduction cases to date. I'll see you here next Sunday. And remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. And for the love of God, please don't ever let a black-eyed kid into your car or home. You've been warned. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with Antica Productions and the Antica Podcast Network. To learn more, visit anticaproductions.com. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, It starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game, and it's good for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.